Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Star Wars Lads podcast. My name's Liam, and I'm joined by the other lads, Jared and Sonak. And this week, we'll be going headfirst into the full review of the novel Light of the Jedi by Charles Soule. It's the first novel in the High Republic era of novels that have just come out. And we've finished the book, and we're ready to talk about our complete thoughts moving forward. So who wants to kick us off with that? Well, I just want to say as a whole, this is a very exciting novel, right? I think for myself, it's been a while since we've had like Star Wars novels kind of dictate things that are happening, like new interesting concepts. Like, yeah, we get like small stuff that like kind of fills in character stories or interesting concepts or like moments that explain people's behavior in the films or shows, but we've never had like something completely original, completely new, right? This is our, this is probably the first setting in Star Wars that had never been explored. And now we're getting like a very specific story out of it that's going to be galaxy spanning. Um, so as a whole, you know, I thought the Light of the Jedi had a pretty tough task, kind of like how Aftermath did um, when the Disney canon restarted. But unlike Aftermath, the Light of the Jedi just hit it on the nail an ensemble book an ensemble cast in this book you know a lot of awesome depictions and details charles soul brings what he had in his vader line into his writing um and he sets up you know the state of the galaxy and you know the losses and the gains in the very first beginnings of the high republic's fight against the nile and everyone else Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there talking about uh, the differences between this and Aftermath. Because Aftermath was so exciting for us initially when it came out. And I remember being there as a fan in 2015, ready to consume any new Star Wars content possibly get. And Aftermath came out and it was pitched as the book that was going to explain everything that happened post Return of the Jedi. And it was a journey to The Force Awakens. It's going to give us so much content in this 30-year gap, and it followed a group of people that really had no connection to the movies, minus Wedge and Snap. But even Snap was the side character. But moving on, uh, it was disappointing. It was kind of slow, and it doesn't really pay off until you get to the later books. And the thing about Light of the Jedi is it pays off Write it right away. Like uh, in previous episodes, we talked about the earlier chapters pretty in depth, but uh, from the beginning, you get to see the Jedi that we were pitched when they announced the High Republic era, the cohesive unit of the Jedi Order that existed at this time. And the Jedi at the height of their powers, like the Knights of the Round Table, each one can use their powers in their own unique way. Force is so. Charles Soule does such a great job making the Force so unique for each individual. Each person feels it in a different way, like Avar Chris with the song or Elzar Man with the Force Like a Sea. Um, it's just, it's so well done, and it gets straight to the point, and we're thrown right into the action, and it never stops. This book was so exciting, and I, I don't know if I've read a Star Wars book as quickly as I read this one. It took me little over a week to finish it and I'm a slow reader and this was 
just so exciting. Characters were so well written, and they each had. He was able to to make each character distinct, despite them, you know, all having the same abilities. Right, they all have the ability to use the force, but but by giving them different ways in which they view the force, or giving things they're strong at, like some are more telepathically strong, some are stronger with more physical force abilities, uh, and some are more empaths with um, with animals and with other people. I think Light of the Jedi was the, probably the most perfect way we could start the era of the High Republic, and it, it sets up so many great things. Uh, to me, one of the best of which is our new villains, the Nile, or the Nihil, as they're pronounced in the audiobook. So I'm not sure which way we're supposed to say that. But let's it's talk about it's weird because I think in the High Republic videos on YouTube and all that, they call them the Nile, right? The authors also call them the Nile. So I guess maybe it's just kind of like a tomato tomato thing. Yeah, I I kind of like the way it's pronounced Nihil, just because it seems. I guess a little bit more Star Warsy, Star Wars-y. or like, <laughs> yeah, because the because Nile is is a word you know that exists in English language and it's kind of like it's been used in Marvel comics and stuff like that. And to me, it just sounds a little bit more unique as the Nihil. But I, I yeah, I've only, I've heard it leading up to the book. I had only heard it as the Nile. But let's talk about them because they are very, very unique villains, and we've never seen anything like them in canon before. Yeah, I mean, I, I it's strange because I think it's a book that really captured my imagination, but not in the way that I was expecting. Right, like when I think of like old EU novels, like the Jedi Academy series, Thrawn, and all that. The way those books were kind of built up was like, yeah, you get some really interesting new things happening at the beginning, a little bit of a lull, but there is like obviously development with the characters and obviously with the original three characters from the original trilogy. And then things would escalate more and more and then it'd be like a very explosive finale. For me, I, just reading this book, I mean, it, it's fair to say most of the biggest excitement... Uh, like most of the biggest stuff that you could say that affects the galaxy happens in the first part. Um, I know me and Liam have finished reading the books and Jared has, I think, finished part one or so. But uh, if this is a small spoiler for both Jared and everyone reading. Um, the biggest part of the great disaster isn't really like the ships of the legacy uh, run ship, like breaking apart in pieces and crashing um, throughout the galaxy. But it's actually a canister Tabana gas that's flying into or floating towards the one of the Hetzel uh, suns, right? And that could have been an, an event that could have been very star killered. And when I say say that, I mean like in the original Force Unleashed, there's a whole scene where like he's pulling down a star destroyer from the ground and like tearing it apart little by little and bringing it up to him. And like, yeah, that's an incredible display of power. But for the time period and the era and for the story purposes, it doesn't really sit well with the pal- uh, the Emperor or Vader, Ram Koda, 
you know, just any of the EU Jedi who were still in exile and all that. So this was a situation that I thought could have easily upended the book because it's it's definitely something that could cause a huge destruction of the solar system. And it reminded me of uh, the Jedi Academy series with the Sun Crusher and Kyp Duron firing like these explosives that would cause like a whole chain reaction of the sun. And I was expecting something like that, but the way that, you know, Avar Chris, um, the Jedi who like listens to the force as a song and how she like connected with everyone and like translated it in a way for everyone to understand how to connect with her in this network and then to use that network to like just guide things, push them, right? Just enough of like enough power behind it, enough like willpower behind it. And then the fact that some of them also die in this process, right? Because they're exhausting their force ability. That's what made it epic for me. I was like, okay, like, there's real stake. There's real weight and consequence. It's not just like, oh, we have a Death Star 3 now, right? Or there's a Star Killer base or like a Sun Crusher or a World Destroyer where things are just escalating in terms of pure power. That has a place in the story, but especially with this time period, especially with how we see the Jedi as being peaceful, but powerful, you know, have their own will, just the way that they're viewed as like these amazing gods and goddesses, angels, if anything. And then to see them actually like sacrifice so much, get beat up, die, right? Alongside all these other characters that we've been introduced in the first few chapters. I think that really set the tone for the story. I feel like these are elements that like I'd want to see in movies, but I, I I question a lot. Like, why aren't aren't these like stakes so great in the films and everything? Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I guess I I haven't heard that part till now. Um, so I I guess I'm I'm a little saddened, but I don't really. I'm know sorry. Who, no, no, I'm it's sorry. all good. It's all good. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I I think it was necessary. Uh, but yeah, no, I think like this story, or I I think the novels. In particular, I think they have such the power that they can I, uh, uh, depict these these characters as uh, these indestructible indestructible like de deities and everything, um, and and to to basically just um, kill them off as like this the symbol of uh, uh, impurity and and like no one is safe. Um, I think that's a really very strong theme moving forward. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And the stakes of this book are are relevant, really. Well, from from the cataclysmic events that are going to happen that the Jedi prevent uh, with the Great Disaster, which is is really a, a genuinely incredible piece of writing. It's so well written and exciting. And even though you you kind of assume as it's happening that the Jedi are going to succeed, because there's still three quarters of the book left, it's still like such a a heart pumping moment, and that carries out through the rest of the book. And we we eventually you know lose some of the Jedi that are introduced in that sequence. Uh, maybe not as many of the main characters as we probably will by the end of this whole story, but. We do lose a couple uh, that are given significant amount of page time throughout uh, part one of this book, but 
Uh, going back to what Sonic said about the structure of, of this book and how a lot of the EU books, and even, I would argue, too, a lot of the canon books we've gotten are very dull in the middle, and sometimes they feel long for the sake of being long. They're much shorter stories. That was one of the things I did appreciate about, appreciate about Tarkin, because it's a short story and it kind of gets straight to the point, though sometimes it does drag when it goes to other characters outside of Tarkin. Um, it doesn't, it, it, every chapter and, and most of James Lucino's books do this. Every chapter is significantly plot impactful. Um, and, and this whole novel feels like it's, if something doesn't happen specifically in a chapter to someone or to, uh, or to a planet or to a group of people, it feels like it's setting it up for <clears throat> an eventual sequel that will tell that story. And so I, I could say that might be one slight negative with this novel too, um, as it's trying to set so many things up. Sometimes they throw out a lot of names, like a lot of names, and most of them are characters we're not familiar with yet. And for the most part, you can keep track of all the main characters, but there are some that they just mentioned because they're the lead characters of other books like Wreath Silas or Anestra um, Rowe, which is the main character of A Test of Courage. Those names are just dropped just so they're, it feels like they're all part of the same universe, but but really they don't have any impact on this story. So that was something I, I noticed when reading. Sometimes you can kind of do a double take and go, wait, who is that? And ultimately it doesn't really matter for this book, but still the interconnectivity that they're able to achieve through this book and, and a constant sense of excitement. And to me, honestly, part two might be my favorite part of this book. Um, it, it's as exciting as part one and part three. And you get way more story and way more backstory on a lot of characters. And going back to the Nile, uh, <laughs> I, I love the way the Nile interact with each other and, and what they're all about. Uh, the introduction of the rule of three within them. I, I, I thought it was going to be when they initially say it something more and they're obviously leaning into the fact that it's playing off the rule of two with the Sith, but it doesn't have any Sith connections. It's basically the fact that the Nihil are divided into three groups. There's the Eye of the Nihil, who is Martian Rowe, and he is our, or less our main villain. Uh, and he is the one who has access to these paths, and they're the hyperspace lanes uh, that are secret that the Nihil can use to travel throughout the galaxy. And Martian Rowe, it's one third of the 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 bounty that they collect when they raid uh, somewhere or someone or a ship or something. And then the other third goes to the Tempest Runner, and there's three Tempest Runners. Uh, Pan Ada, uh, Lorna D, and Kasav, who are, you know, for the most part in charge of the Nihil uh, because they command the armies, which are called Tempests, and the rest of the armies get the other third bounty. Uh, and it's such a Mad Maxian, a crazy style of, of villain, these marauders. And, and I just really wanted to see what they look like in, in live action. I think they would look so cool. On top of that, they're just kind of punk rock. They're very, they're, they're obviously inspired by Mad Max, especially Fury Road. But, but uh, I, I just loved how these guys operate and they're so ruthless and there's, no mercy but it's all about themselves and it's all about taking what you want and that's the main 
uh, motto of the Night Hill. It's it's do we do it our way, and we get to take whatever we want. We don't really have any villains like that in canon. Currently, most of our villains have either been the Empire or uh, the Separatists, <laughs> and we we have not expanded to to villains like this. It's fun to finally get something that's unique and and something that's so chaotic that the Jedi kind of can't deal with it. Yeah, totally, totally agree with all those points that you've been making making on there, but um. Yeah, I guess adding on, instead of like the lull that kind of comes with like the middle of any sort of content, whether it be a TV show, a movie or book or whatnot, I think it was a really smart decision that, you know, really introduced the Nile. I'm going to go with Nile because I, I, I like how it sounds. But um, I really like the uh, decision to like finish the first part, then hit the interlude, introducing Martian Row and everyone, then kind of jumping into their perspective. Because they're not, they are villains. I mean, they're brutal. They're mass murderers. They're willing to kill each other. And they could just be like classic marauders in the sense, you know, like pirates at the sea and stuff like that. But they have a sort of code, a sort of twisted honor. They have a great structure, as you pointed out, the rule of three. But that rule of three, all of them are kind of tied down to the eye who throughout the book, they think is a lesser position, you know, just the person in charge of the paths, which is how these, uh, uh, what is it, these Nile are able to just suddenly appear um, in different places throughout the galaxy without conventional hyperspace. And uh, there was a, I also really liked the sequel trilogy connection uh, with the Santecas. I thought the characters, the oldest Santecas that were involved, on the uh, throughout the book were very multi-layered. I think that says a lot about how complicated their family is. Um, and it's interesting to see how their what their economic status and their position is like individually. Um, but the while they might be doing well or being influential in this era, how do they go from that to you know kind of being members of the church of the force like is it just lore santeca in the sequels that becomes part of like the church of the force or is that something like the whole family starts moving into i don't know that, that would, it just raised a lot of questions for me but yeah i mean obviously following the villains a bit more was really nice um as a whole i mean i know canon books have been pretty decent about it and some of the old eu was as well but it, it it's really nice to see characters that are like unrepressed um obviously i i think it goes without saving saying but avar and elzar they got something going on there i mean they both like each other way too much to be just <laughs> friends um elzar is basically our han solo at this point just doing things recklessly actually he's like a quinlan Voss mixed with like a, a han solo that's how i uh, pictured his actions and avar is like I don't know she's like she's like Padme and Leia, and then there's something totally unique out of that too. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, our Jedi have these strong connections, right? They even mention like, you know, we're not supposed to form attachments, but um, on Alfaro, obviously, uh, they have their outpost uh, there, and they find this little hound dog 
like a flame that like shoots flames out of its body and they call it ember they take care of it and all that and they're like well the forest does say we should love every animal and creature so you know just taking care of it was just our duty and it's like that sort of thinking is exactly what i think a much happier anakin would be saying and you know an anakin in attack of the clones kind of does say right a bit too creepily but you know still in the same mindset so like obviously the jedi are willing to bend the rules they i mean the whole point of this book is to show how much individuality they still maintain within an order and obviously the nile are these these what was the word for it? Uh, something punk uh crash punk or whatever that they used to describe like the music that they were playing and, like and they, they they take these like drugs that like hit them super hard and like get them all wild and crazy and stirred up but then they also have like pills that make them like round off the experience so it stays even and consistent and keeps on getting better and better like drug use alcohol partying like those are things that we've seen in star wars but not to like never in a anything in, in anything more than like a simplistic like oh these are bad or oh these are good it's like a bit more well-rounded and to add to that right we have our human characters and i think my favorite human characters were the two uh fixers on the starlight beacon that joined them joss joss and or or something i, for, I forget their name liam do you remember i think it's joss adrian and i forgot yeah. his wife's name yeah but like there's like they're like they're just two random dudes who are like oh like yeah we're we're here we'll help out we're civilians and then like once they and they keep on helping but like there's also like a mini moment where like the wife is thinking about like oh man we had vacation plans and she just goes into like such detail about like how much fun she was gonna have hint hint with her husband and i was like wow it's really nice to see people who are uh not repressed throughout the whole galaxy right it's like I know it's a book format, and I know Dark Disciple really gets into uh, this sort of same territory, but it, it just feels like the whole vibe of the galaxy at this point is like, yeah, we're expanding, we're trying new things, we're all the Republic, right? Like, this is an era to really embrace things and not feel limited. And I think that really helped set the tone throughout the second half of the book, and then Obviously, our final third, we get more into our conventional battles and all that, but we're also split up into multiple parties. And it really felt like, you know, uh, like episode one, where, you know, we see Anakin flying with all the Naboo pilots. We see Padme leading all her uh, Naboo guards through the palace, uh, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan versus Darth Maul, right? There's so many different perspectives going on. The Gungans, obviously, fighting off the droid army. There's, like, four different battles. And, like, in this book, there's, like, so many different battles going on. And I will say it was a little hard to keep up with it at times if I didn't read it slowly. But when I did, I was like, man, there's just so much good stuff going on. And it's even better knowing that, like, one of the villains behind all of it is pulling all the strings. But like, not in like a Palpatine, like, oh, I know everything going on, but more like, I am willing to destroy everything to get everything, which I thought was very, very cool. Like Martian Rowe, he's already climbing up as like one of my favorite villains in all of Star Wars. Absolutely agree. I, I love Martian Rowe and, and a lot of his, um, his monologues are like the, the times you get inside his head 
and his interaction with uh, Mari Santeca, who he is this old woman who is cre- responsible for creating the paths, uh, and nobody else knows that except him and his family. He, she's basically, she's described as being like uh, over 100 years old and kept alive in this medical pod. And basically, she's just a slave to him creating these paths constantly. But she's kind of senile, so she doesn't really know what's happening to her. And he's when she doesn't do what he wants, he's like, shocks her and he's he's ruthless but it's cool kind of following his journey along with how nihil view him because at the beginning of your introduction to the nihil they don't uh like we said they don't respect him he's kind of just the guy who gives them the ability to do what they do and so they keep him around because they need him but no one thinks he's worth a damn. Thinks he's useful outside of that. He never goes on any raids. He doesn't do any marauding. He doesn't lead anyone. And you get to see that transformation of him becoming this ruthless kind of vicious leader that he is by the end of the, the book where he's willing to sacrifice any single person in his way. He, is, he doesn't care whether you're on his team or not. You're an enemy unless you help him make him stronger. And I think he, he's in line with a lot of Star Wars villains we've had. But he does it in so many different ways. He's not as not as manipulative. He's a little bit more direct than someone like Palpatine. Yet he still has all the, the safeguards and the fail-safes to make his plan work. He's going to sacrifice you if you try to stop him. I, I can't wait to see how he interacts with the Jedi. And we do get to see a little bit of interaction with him and Loden Greatstorm uh, towards the end of the book when he captures him and takes his lightsaber. And I, I'm really excited to see if he's what he's going to do with a lightsaber. He, he does have this other weapon that they, they described in the book. Um, they don't say it's like a vibroblade or anything like that. It almost sounded like one of those um, staffs that General Grievous's guards have, but it was they kind of described it as more of a unique type of weapon that he uses as a pl- in place of a lightsaber. But it'll be kind of cool if he's going around fighting with type of dual or direct interaction with more Jedi. Um, yeah, I I found him to be honestly one of the most compelling characters. And I think I think that could be a knock on this book a little bit. And for me, it wasn't. I I enjoyed getting our initial introduction to all these characters because I know they'll be flushed out more in all these other materials we're getting because we're getting books and comics and young reader books and junior novels and young adult books, all this type of stuff. But uh, I could see people being down on the book a little bit for the fact that we don't get any one character outside of Martian Row, in my opinion. Fully de- uh, developed and realized. Like, there's a lot of characters started, and their journeys and their arcs are started, but they don't wrap up completely like you would in most books. So it definitely feels like a piece of the big, larger scheme. Uh, then, then especially than we're used to in canon, because canon, the vast majority of our books in canon have been one-offs. I think we only have. This is only our third series or fourth series 
of books in in all of canon. Everything else has been a, a one-off. So we had Aftermath, we had Alphabet Squadron, we had Thrawn, we had the first Thrawn trilogy, and they're on a second Thrawn trilogy. Uh, but this is easily our first big, large-scale, interconnected uh, novel world. So, yeah, the characters don't get to have full, complete arcs, but for me, that was okay, uh, we, because we Martian Rowe really does have a strong arc in this book, and everybody else gets started on what I would assume would be a pretty satisfying journey. Time yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with those criticisms, and just like you, I didn't really have too much of an issue with them. More just because it's like one of those books that not only has like an endless amount of possibilities to come out of it, but it also has quite a fun story to follow along. Um, yeah, I mean, I echo everything that you're saying. And I will say by the end of the book, there are hints of like the prosperity of the High Republic that are starting to show cracks. Like, you know, Admiral Cronara, he's like, he reminds me of like our... Uh, uh, the Republic uh, commanders on the in the Republic Navy during the Clone Wars, and Admiral Piet and all those other people in the Imperials. He's not necessarily evil, but he is very much someone who believes you know peace is achieved through justice, uh, you know through a show of defense, if not some show of force. So it's interesting to see a bit more militaristic stuff to come into play and i mean it has to because the nile are crazy barbarians like their ships are unlike anything we've seen in star wars to me when i was imagining them visually they looked even uglier than i thought so i'm, I'm curious to see how they actually look like because it all, all i could imagine were like ships with a bunch of spikes around them and like <laughs> potatoes with spikes around them i hope i hope it's a lot more complicated and intricate and gaudier than that but that's the only visual i was getting <laughs> and i'm like that's that's technically a different star wars design i just hope it's a bit more well-rounded well more dimensional than that um i, I mean it, it's hard to say anything against uh you know the decisions made in this book like there's obviously some star jedi that we're gonna follow that's that's going to be the case and what format we don't know quite yet um we know that like a test of courage vernesta rowe is going to be in out of the shadows um a character like stellan geos who don't hear anything about but we know he's like part of the big three jedi with um avar and elzar uh he has zero lines i don't think in this book but we know he's going to be pretty big in out of the shadows like it's it's really the initiative taking its first chances and trying to shove in as much as possible without feeling overstuffed. And to achieve that balance, I guess they did have to like name drop people dying, right? People who had a great effect on um, a lot of our Jedi, a lot of the other humans and aliens. But it worked well. Like, I mean, I could say I'm like satisfied with like characters like Captain Bright, you know his sacrifice i thought that was emotional well done it really added to the stakes of the whole great disaster and stuff like that um 
but yeah, I mean, obviously, as great of a disaster as it was, there was a lot more that came out of it. The Nile really started pushing themselves against uh, other worlds. They made a lot of mistakes. A lot of that wasn't intentional. Some of it was just because the Jedi are just that great, that willing to sacrifice everything for the greater good. Um, but there's also like a lot of brutal elements, and it shows that the Nile are are vicious and you know right now they use their own body and were willing to sacrifice their own body of troops and soldiers uh for their cause but in the future we don't know what they're gonna do i feel like they're gonna at least uh roe is gonna go crazy with all the things he uses he's a manipulator i don't think he's not a manipulator so i have to disagree there i think he's just someone who's openly vicious and openly manipulative but the difference between him and someone like palpatine is that we can see a little bit of his heart and his twisted heart and mind and like some of his more private scenes that he has in the book so yeah i don't know a great book for me um definitely makes me excited to read a star wars book because i know that there's stuff like this coming out um i guess liam if you want to finish up your thoughts and move on to test of courage be my guest yeah sure i would i have a pretty similar point of view with everything that you just said it's just it was a great book i i think it's easy for me to say it's a top five canon book for me um it was exciting it there was constantly new information that was presented that felt always felt important uh, characters felt like they weren't stuck you they weren't just an added imperial here or a, a new Droid or it, stuff like that that we've gotten through most of our canon books where we get other versions of characters we know in the, the main saga and plus a, a random character from the saga that we don't know that much about but let's explore a little bit more about them this was all new everything was new we got to learn new personalities they weren't completely ripoffs of other people from uh, the saga and i just really really enjoyed it this is the type of book that i actually could see myself rereading maybe a year from now before the next phase of high republic comes out uh i i really really liked this book and i can't wait to see what they do moving forward but uh on to test of courage which is the junior novel that came out on the same day as light of the jedi uh i haven't gotten too far into it i'm only four chapters in i believe it's 22 um it's about 220 pages but it's a small book uh in height compared to light of the jedi and the font is much bigger so it's it's going to be a very quick read i should have it done by next week to talk about it more fully um but yeah it's a it's a pretty good book for the junior novels i have read quite a few of the junior novels um that they've released in canon and they've all kind of been on little one-off stories uh I particularly liked Before the Awakening, uh, which was billed as kind of a, a slight prequel to Force Awakens when it came out. Ultimately, it had no effect on anything in the trilogy because they uh, they pretty much ignore it for the other two movies. But it, that one was uh, an interesting little group of short stories. And, and they all kind of read simply. They're very simple stories. They're obviously made for kids i would say probably the age range is probably between about fourth grade and 
sixth or seventh grade. So they're, they're easy reads. They don't make you think too hard, but I would say a test of courage so far in the first four chapters is a little bit more adult than I was expecting it to be. Uh, just with its language, there's, there's words in there that I feel like I wouldn't have known in fourth grade. And there's a lot more to it thematically than uh, I was expecting. So I am definitely excited to go further into it. And next week I should be able to talk about it more fully. But uh, Vernestra Rowe seems to be a pretty cool character. She's one of the youngest Jedi ever to pass the trials. Uh, she's 16 in the book. So that's, you know, as we can, you can see, that's the age range we're going for with our characters they're all going to be kids and teenagers in this book uh but she seems interesting she's a mary allen which is the same species as uh, luminara unduly so yeah there's there's a couple pieces of artwork in here which you know definitely helps um you picture what the characters look like and and all of that uh so yeah i think it's going to be a pretty good junior novel probably amongst the better Hopefully it does add something to the High Republic as a whole, because I think I was expecting this one to add the least out of the first three big books. Um, and I'm, I'm sure it will, because this is going to be the one that most people skip out of the first three. But hopefully it does at least flesh out a couple characters to the point where if we get them in the other larger, more adult novels, um, I'm glad I will have read this book to know about them prior to reading the other books. So, uh, I can't recommend it or not recommend it yet, but I would say it's surprising me with its quality so far in the first 60 pages that I've Yeah, and I, I want to point out, um, like, junior novels are, well... I actually, I don't think it's a junior novel. I think it's a young reader novel. Junior novels are like the ones that um, Claudia Gray writes, um, like she did with Lost Stars and stuff. And right. I thought least, that was young adult. Oh, well, I'm not sure, honestly. It probably I'm might be. I'm just basing it off of the Wikipedia. Oh, uh, okay. Then, yeah, okay. I might be wrong there then. Um, but yeah, I, I want to add that all these books, despite like the age group that they're aimed for, at least with the new Lucasfilm initiative um, and the whole Del Rey publishing that they've been doing, they have not really had too big of like age gaps in terms of reading. Like obviously Star Wars at its core is not really like an advanced story. It's not like no Dune. It's no like philosophical, environmental, religious story wrapped up in technology and destiny and all those crazy things it's it's simple like you know it's people in a galaxy you know people with powers people who don't have powers people fight each other um but the one thing i've noticed about star wars storytelling in the books is that they have been pretty in line like um you know the young adult books the young reader books like if we look back at lost stars lost stars is like fairly explicit for a young adult book right for books that are aimed for 13 to 14 years old um and like yeah obviously the stuff that we see in the light of the jedi it is a bit more crueler a bit more bloodier but it's not too far removed from something so 
I am curious. I'm probably also going to read Test of Courage this this next week and, um, you know, figure out more about Vernessa Rowe because she is she's going to be one of the main characters in Out of the Shadows. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I do kind of want to applaud Lucasfilm for like not diminishing, uh, you know how it tells its Star Wars stories despite the age of people. Obviously, there'll be things that they, that are easier to understand or such as like the language you choose, you know, how you focus your topics, euphemisms, stuff like that. But for the most part, from what I'm hearing from the High Republic and everything, it seems like that, you know, they're, they're really keeping things balanced for all readers to embrace so that it's not just like, oh, this book is too high level for me to read for one person. And like another person would be like, Oh no, this book is way too childish for me to get into. Like, it seems like at least, especially for the high Republic, everything is on near equal level, which is great. Yeah, definitely. I, I agree with that. And I hope that continues moving forward because these, you know, any story that they put out should not be considered something to skip. You know, you would you would think if they're going to go to the extent of trying to say that this is all canon and it's all impactful to the whole universe, and they shouldn't put out stories that are just kind of <laughs> there to make a buck on kids who haven't read a Star Wars story in a while. They should be actually important. So I'm glad. But let's move on to our next topic, which is going to be the final topic of this video. I mean, this if you're watching on YouTube, a video. If you're listening, it's going to be a podcast. Uh, we're going to talk about Star Wars games, and we we mentioned it briefly last week that uh, Lucasfilm has decided to create its own division called Lucasfilm Games, and they basically took the exclusive license away from EA, and they're now listening to pitches from pretty much any game studio who is willing to make a Star Wars game and pitch it to them, and if they like it, they're going to do it, and so we've got a Indiana Jones game coming from Ubisoft or from uh, Bethesda and a Star Wars open world game coming from Ubisoft. And we still have uh, the Jedi Fallen Order stuff coming from EA and maybe more Battlefront squadrons. Uh, it's an exciting time for Star Wars games. And we kind of wanted to talk about maybe what types of Star Wars games we would like to see in the future. And so we've all kind of thought up ideas about a game that we would like to see them do. and let to start this off. I'm going to quickly just add in some information. Um, obviously, we've also had the announced Lego Star Wars game and PlayStation Magazine, Gamer Magazine, uh, mentioned that there's going to be like 800 total characters, but only 300 that are playable. There's going to be like 28 or 29 planets that are slash hubs. Um, pick, it, pick wherever you want to start your story. Um, and we know that there's going to be some tie-ins and DLCs to, like, other Star Wars media, like Mandalorian and stuff like that. Um, and there is supposedly a Bad Batch tie-in coming in. Um, but, you know, that also raises the question, when does Bad Batch come out? Is it one season? Is it multi-season? What's it going to be? Um, I guess my bet, biggest bet is that it's going to come in May, just because... Disney Plus right now has WandaVision going on, and uh, right after that, like two weeks after it ends in March, um, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier is supposed to start. So I, I don't see it competing against that. So I'm expecting more like May, classic Star Wars time for it to come out. Um, and also, 
Knights of the Old Republic, which is one of the greatest RPGs ever, and has probably an even better sequel, um, story-wise, if not game-wise, in The Sith Lords. Uh, it has been reported by IGN and a couple other sources that KOTOR is being reimagined to fit into the new canon, but will not be using Bioware or EA. There's some rumors going on, according to Bestman Bulletin, that... Um, you know, it's not from those two. Uh, they're taking away, I guess, their original brainchild and letting some other studio reimagine it. It's been rumored that some other well-known but not like superstar studios uh, is going to be in charge of it. Some rumors that it might be more of like a linear game, like Fallen Order, as opposed to an RPG. But then also some conflicting reports that they've been hiring RPG developers. So, hey, we've been clamoring. I know all all three of us have at least played knights of the old republic and at least are big fans of some of the stuff and concepts and cool things that it introduced but um yeah that's just some of the info about star wars games and we know ea is also going to come out with several more announcements for other games so they're not totally out of the picture and just this past week you know we had battlefront 2 come out for free on the epic game store and i've been playing it and i know jared's been playing it. it's been super fun but um, speaking of Jared, I think maybe we should throw to Jared since, you know, unfortunately he didn't get to catch up with us for, for reading with the book. But I want him to, you know, take a first stab at like what sort of Star Wars game that he'd want to play or see come out. You know, I, I feel like I've been thinking about this and I, I don't know necessarily if this would actually be an interesting game, but it would be to me. I feel like like along the Bad Batch or... Um, like just like the that group of bounty hunters during um like the empire um era like i i feel like i'd want to follow uh their story in kind of like a red redemp red dead redemption type of style um kind of semi open world but uh you know you your your basis would be around like the bounty hunter guild or or like uh I don't know, some something maybe even like following uh like Rex or something after uh, after Order sixty six and stuff. I just feel like that that story is just so intriguing to me that I'm very curious to see like where what happens, you know? And I, I feel like um there's just a, such a huge gap that you can cover it in. Uh I guess in, in terms of gameplay and stuff, I'm not sure how um I guess how that would work, but uh, obviously, I think um, as immersive of an RPG as it is, uh, the better, you know. Totally agree. Are you thinking of like kind of like Republic Commando, but with Bad Batch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of like Republic Commando. Um, I guess, I guess more choice um, than Rep Republic Commando, but at, at the same time, you know, come a long way since then. And especially in the games that, you know, we're seeing uh, nowadays and stuff and, you know, with the render engines being like super freaking powerful, I feel like, uh, I feel like the Star Wars games that we can see, um, uh, you know, as we saw in like the Fallen Order, it, like the Fallen Order is beautiful. And I feel like to see that quality of um, rendering in a game and, and, maybe an open world game i don't know maybe not um but i just feel like to follow like a singular narrative um 
that choice type thing that ultimately ends in, uh, you know, where Rex was with, um, with Wolf and, uh, what was the other trooper's name? Gregor. Gregor. Yeah. Um, I feel like, you, you know, you know, how, uh, you know how like a lot of these like choice games make it seem like you have a choice, but like it ultimately kind of ends in the same place. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, think kind of, I kind think, of like that. Yeah. I think a good example is like cyberpunk when it first right, was like announced exactly, seven yeah. years ago, they're like, it's going to be open world RPG. But then like a year before it came out, they changed it to action RPG and then just into action game. Right. Um, yeah. Like having that, small choice of being like able to say what you want to do or you know being able to do these side missions but in the end progressing through a main narrative yeah yeah i, I feel like that that's always been um uh, a huge thing on my mind since i guess like the clone wars movie came out um i've always wanted to see that story just because like you know it was inferred when we watched that movie like uh rex wasn't clearly in Order 66 um, in episode three. And so I guess like right as as Rex was introduced as a character, I was always so curious because, you know, he was very ambiguous in, in his fate. Um, and I think that was a question from day one. But I guess um, that would be an interesting story that I'd, I'd love to play. What about you guys? Yeah, that definitely would be awesome. I'd love a clone style game. And I actually thought I, I wrote down a couple options kind of based on what you guys were going to pick because I was thinking another type of Republic Commando game would be awesome. Um, because Republic Commando 2 also had like that kind of tactical type of first person shooter element to where you could tell your guys where to go and where to post up and you could have one guy doing hacking into something while you shot the droids and stuff like that it was pretty unique i haven't I haven't really played any other first person shooters do that um it'd be cool yeah and i mean in like the old battlefront game um you the very first one you could do like squad tactics but the hud and like everything that you could do with all the other characters that you follow along in Repu republic commander i don't think i don't think many games have even touched that level of like lego star wars okay yeah i guess lego <laughs> star wars <laughs> but lego star wars is like all right well i could just take control of this character right as opposed to republic command being like i trust your judgment but do this order yeah yeah and all those characters were so awesome too like yeah if we got like a republic commando type game with where you played as rex and your other guys were wolf and and gregor and maybe there's one other clone that you end up losing and gets killed at stakes the story that would be pretty cool i i didn't think about that but i just wrote down yeah republic commando type of fps would be pretty sick uh and i also on the same on the same hand i was thinking a bounty hunter game would be really cool i'd want it to be a bit more of an rpg um in kind of the vein of cyberpunk or what was promised with cyberpunk cyberpunk still has tons of rpg elements especially because you can create your character and you and customize uh what you do with your your level ups and your points that you gain with that and it's it's a pretty in-depth rpg type system it just can't interact with as many things as you as they promised but 
bounty hunter type game where you can basically build your bounty hunter from the ground up and gain that type of street cred that you get in cyberpunk and across the galaxy gain that fame i think that would be pretty cool but the thing i want to see the most is a game about the sith going back to it jedi and sith the, my favorite part of star wars uh, more so than bounty hunters or smugglers or crime syndicates or anything like that jedi and sith are the thing for me so I'd like to see an action RPG with uh, Sith characters where you played as a Sith. Um, probably more like Assassin's Creed in the sense where you can't necessarily build your character from scratch. You get like one of two characters or one character, but you can upgrade them in the ways you'd like. So like I put kind of a combination of like Horizon Zero Dawn, Ghost of Tsushima, and Assassin's Creed. Like the best oh. of all these like massive open world kind of RPG element type of games. Um and I, I think it would be cool to kind of incorporate elements of like the Dathomirians and the Night Sisters and you could do like that type of bow and arrow uh combat or something like that. That would be really cool. And and set it either if we're gonna get Knights of the Old Republic and a similar story about uh the maybe a story about the end of the Jedi Sith Wars and and the Mandalorian conflicts and all that, where we established the foundation of the Republic, maybe a story about some of those remaining Sith right after that, uh, and right after the Jedi have pretty much taken over the galaxy and the Republic's established. I'd love to get a story about like a surviving Sith who's trying to uh, stay alive throughout the galaxy in kind of an open world action RPG type game with, with stealth elements and stuff like that, where you, where you could like take people out with your lightsaber stealthily. I think that would be super cool, but you could still, yeah, kind of like you were saying, Jared, you could make decisions ultimately kind of gets you to the same place at the end. <laughs> yeah. but you could still make uh, dialogue decisions and uh, like uh, horizon zero dawn has that where you, you can talk to people. Ultimately, you talking to people does nothing for you as the player or for you as the character, but it just adds extra stuff to the to the lore of the world and stuff. I think they should do that. Um, so yeah, that would be my ideal Star Wars game. We could get it. And going also going back to Kotor, um, I was saying earlier, Jared Sonic. I, I really hope the combat style and combat system from the original Kotor is so out of date and as someone who played it a little bit later uh not in 2003 like, like back in 2011 or 12 it's definitely a combat system that can be frustrating one that's hard to get used to uh in today's modern age especially when rpgs have gone away from the type of turn-based system and so obviously if they can try to copy the combat system from final fantasy 7 remake and incorporate that in the switching between characters and and uh, the perfect use of, of character power-ups and items and switching and, and all of that, it, it would be pretty much flawless. Like I think they could make KOTOR absolutely flawless and, and pretty much copy the same game. Although it is interesting, if it isn't EA, I wonder who, uh, if they have the rights to use uh, Revit and Alec, those types of iconic characters that have become so much a part of KOTOR. They, wouldn't really want to make a game without them, but then also mm. with Revan, everybody kind of knows the twist, so you wouldn't want to make Revan the main character again. And I can see why they don't do an RPG as well, because that 
throws a wrinkle in the canon because if you create your own character, it's like a significant Jedi to the whole galaxy. And there's no like official canon version of that character. So yeah, I could say yeah. want to do it, but they should still do it. I, I would be willing to accept that whole in canon. Yeah, I mean, any RPG is going to, when being developed, right, it's meant for more playability, right, and options and choice. Um, so <laughs> that's not really something that the Lucasfilm story group would really appreciate at this point. But, hey, it's, if people like it, they can have it. But you can, you can definitely make it, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't think it's terribly difficult to create a game uh, where you can play it more linearly as opposed to RPG. Like, maybe having, like, a game mode that's specifically, like, hey, here's the canon story. But if you're just willing to go off the rails, go off the rails, right? Um, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like you can, you can kind of do that with games these days. I don't know how much harder that is. Obviously, I'm not speaking anywhere near being an expert. But, you know, I, I feel like it's doable. But... Uh, Liam, when you mentioned like the Sith assassination stuff, all I could think of was like, you know, running behind someone, um, like kind of like Aiden does, but instead of like hitting them over the head, you just become like Kylo and then you just do the one click on and off of the lightsaber straight through the head. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. just like the, it's like you hear a quick sound, but you're like, I, I, that was nothing. But <laughs> unfortunately, someone's missing half a brain at this point, but. Yeah, <laughs> but um, I know it would be incredible. It it would be so fun to be an ambiguous uh, force user. Um, I think that's totally something I can see. And even in like a Sith assassin game, you know, even amongst the Sith, there aren't like crazy evil Sith. Like there's people like Darth Malgus, right? Who's just power hungry and all that, but he's also got like a soft side. And then there's obviously people like Palpatine who's like, Haha, everything is going to go into flames if my plans don't succeed, right? But um, I think for a game that I would like to see, I don't know. I think trying to fit in stuff in the canon is hard now. Um, so one reason why Knights of the Old Republic succeeded is that it's just so far flung into the past um like it's at 3000 years or almost 4000 before um the prequel trilogy begins but at the same time a lot of the aesthetic is like evocative of like prequel era locations and stuff because obviously that was a big thing coming at the same time um but you know looking back on it now as great as those games were some of the visual stuff besides like you know the issues that turn based rpg games and stuff like that um so one of the bigger issues that I've noticed in more recent playthroughs is that some things just look a little too modern, right? Um, I I know a lot of fans haven't read Tales of the Last Jedi, or sorry, Tales of the Jedi, which is like a comic series that had Exar Kun, Yula Quildroma, uh, the Tet Empire, and a bunch of other things. But essentially, right, that's a series that's only set like 25 years before, but Things are a lot, lot more primitive then. And that primitiveness really works for Star Wars in a way that I can't really explain, at least for myself. Um, 
and reading the light of the Jedi when hearing about how the Santecas are like hyperspace prospectors and all stuff like that. It just reminded me about how the galaxy was in Tales of the Jedi, right? Like obviously there was that burgeoning Republic and stuff. Um, you had your Jedi and whatnot. Um, they didn't have like lightsabers connected to um, like battery packs or anything that moved past that point. But at the same time, they were not even not, they weren't as good as like our modern version of lightsabers. Um, there were so many different like territories of the galaxy that were charted out for different groups, right? That weren't the Republic, like old school kingdoms, essentially. Um, and a bunch of other things. Um, and just like the more, just more chaoticness of the galaxy. Like the fact that at least in this era, um, while much of the galaxy in the inner rim, the core and the mid rim was like explored, right? Even amongst those areas, there's just so much missing, so much that hadn't been tracked out. So many things that were like, like colonies, right, that were unknown or just not well known because hyperspace was new, things weren't fully connected, all these different things. But just that whole era and that aesthetic makes me want to get a game where you're a bit more of like a prospector, right? More akin to like exploring, uh, uh, what is it, like the new planets and alien species and all that. Um, not to pull in Star Trek too much, but I think one of the best things it does is making first contact between humans and more evolved uh, species and races, uh, like the Vulcans when they first con uh, connect with the humans, right? I think uh, having the Republic kind of contact maybe like a rat attack empire or just like other human colonizers who were, seen, were thought to be missing, but were suddenly now rediscovered and they're super advanced and they have their own culture and beliefs, um, different ways of looking at the force, different creatures. Um, I remember from Tales of the Jedi, one of my favorite Jedi was basically like a small rhino, right? And he somehow used the lightsaber, but he was definitely a character who was always on all fours, which I, I don't know how visually that would work, but you know, obviously the Sith would be a part of the factor as more of like a race of beings as opposed to like an ideology and a religion um you know just having normal people like figure out hyperspace lanes discovering riches um i know bacta right now isn't something that's like three thousand years old or something in the, at least in the star wars galaxy because it seems to be a rather new thing in the light of the jedi so you know maybe your first uh basics healing stuff just like the, just the foundations of Star Wars are things that I want to explore in a game. It doesn't necessarily have to be open world, but if it's the story about like the beginnings of like just the expansion away from the core worlds and just like the beginning of Star Wars for the general populations, the explorers, the adventures, right? Not necessarily the Jedi. They can be doing their own thing or whatnot. Just, I don't know. I just want to explore that. Well, yeah, I, I definitely agree with what you're saying about the, uh, your Star Wars game. And, and all these games would be so cool to have. And that's just why it's so exciting that we're finally getting the ability to have 
uh, so many different Star Wars games from so many different people. We can have so many different ones in the same year. It's going to be really cool and very much echo how it used to be with the old LucasArts. Uh, but let's move, move on to our Star Wars journeys. I know that we're going to keep this one pretty short this week because most of us have just been reading Light of the Jedi, so we haven't done much other Star Wars-related uh, content this week. But if anybody has anything they'd like to add? Uh, yeah, um, at least on my end, uh, I definitely spent a lot of time with Light of the Jedi. Again, great book. Hopefully, if you, you understand it after listening to this episode of the podcast um, and are interested in picking it up and anything else in the High Republic, but I did spend a lot of my other Star Wars time just playing Battlefront 2, just like last week. Really fun. The more game modes played, the more I realized just how well made EA really, you know, made this game by the end. Um, and I played Ewok Hunt, which is such a good mode. Um, I played with like three of my other friends and like just the abilities that the Ewok has, like throwing fireflies that like cause damage, um, horns and stuff, and just sniffing out the weakest among the stormtroopers remaining like the mode is the mode basically works is like you have to survive as a stormtrooper if you spawn as one um with your group and you have like a flashlight that lasts like every 30 seconds and goes off until you get picked up or if you die you become an ewok or if you've already spawned as an ewok from the start and they're just killing all these ewok uh the the ewoks are killing all the stormtroopers which i mean is heavily implied in return of the jedi uh, with them drumming on the helmets of the stormtroopers but yeah i mean probably one of my favorite modes of any video game i've played multiplayer wise in the last few years but besides that for me you know i, I dropped queen shadow for a bit just because a lot of jedi was just so much more fun and pleasing to get through and just richer but yeah that's it for my end i guess i kind of want to add on the battlefront uh no, I, I feel like playing as Ewoks in like the, um, I guess like the modes where you can play Ewoks as special characters or special troops, they're, they're just so overpowered. <laughs> yeah, no, they, they're scary, man. How good they're they so are. so overpowered. Um, but yeah, I guess in the context of uh, Battlefront, yeah, they're terrifying. <laughs> so I would, I would hate to be a Stormtrooper in, in that sense. For sure. Yeah, for me, I uh, <laughs> I echo what you say about the Ewok hunt because that is such a fun mode. I'm so glad it's like a permanent part of the game now. Uh, but yeah, I haven't done too much other than read Light of the Jedi and Test of Courage. I watched uh, uh, episode four and five, which if you hear my thoughts and the rest of our thoughts on our favorite Star Wars movies, go check out our episode, our three-part episode of the Star Wars Lads podcast where we ranked every Star Wars Skywalker saga movie. We talked about why we put uh yeah, I watched episode four and five, gonna finish up my Star Wars marathon that I started in December and, and or started in November and then didn't really get to do anything in December. So that's it for me. So but uh let's move on to other media we're consuming. Uh some of us have been doing some other things, but still Light of the Jedi is kind of Yeah, I um, the, uh, the only thing that I've basically done uh, uh, was watch the latest episode of Attack on Titan, and it was uh, it was fucking nuts, and that's all I'm gonna say. Yeah, um, on my end, Wandavision episode three. Um, 
man, it was so, so good. Um, I mean, I, I guess maybe because it was in color, it was a humor, and I'm a fan of just like the fat 70s fashion and era and stuff like that. But while like the first episode was like uh, the Van Dyke show, which I think Liam, I think you mentioned it was like the exact same set. It was like a great setup episode with like a decent tease. I thought the second episode's like plot advancement was very minimal. Um, and it was more like the teases were more interesting than the whole episode was. And I wasn't really sure what the sh- show was trying to emulate, like what sitcom or family drama of that era. But episode three was great. Um, the whole reversing stuff that Wanda does, the way it's done is like very fitting for the technology of the era, but it's timed so perfectly for like all the reality breaking scenes. And like the way the plot advances at the end was really, really cool. And honestly, it was just a, probably the funniest episode for me. Um, and yeah, episode two was really funny too. Episode one had good fun, but I, I don't know. I just really liked the, the shenanigans of the whole third episode and the meetings that's starting to come out of the show. And besides that, you know, I've been continuing Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Always puts a smile on my face. Um, keeping up with the Lakers. Just, you know, the usual stuff from my end. Yeah, for me, uh, WandaVision has been really, really fun. Um, very different from the rest of the MCU, which is definitely a welcome, especially as we start Phase 4 and of the uncertain future that we have with the mcu we're not sure where it's going and we're basically starting over uh, story-wise so it's been fun to see a new take on our our old characters that we like and from someone who reads most of these comics and and knows kind of where this story is going a little bit i i'm interested to see how dark they get because this could get real real dark real quick uh but we'll see i'm excited for the next episode uh, but for me, I haven't done many other things outside of Light of the Jedi and Test of Courage, except for um, play Cyberpunk 2077, which I actually am really liking because the story is really, really good. Uh, I like how much impact your decisions have and, and just in every facet. Like you can fail side jobs if you don't make the right decision or if, if you don't make the right decision, you might not even get a side a side job <laughs> at all. Like if you... If you don't say the right thing to a specific character in a specific set of dialogue, you might never get to do that mission. So I, I really like all that. And I, I like uh, the game as a whole quite a bit. Yeah. I still am having tons of problems with bugs. They made a, they did an update and there was a big patch this week. Um, and it made the game worse in my opinion. I, I had, it had only crashed for me about three or four times. There were pretty much no game breaking bugs, just, just full-on crashes. Uh, and then when the update came out this week, it was horrible. It was like a whole new whole new game. Uh, walls were not appearing. Yeah, there was doors I was trying to go in, and the doors were just not there, and then I would have to exit the building and come back, and, and then the door finally loaded. Uh, it crashed on me like five or six times within a couple hours. So I don't know what they did with this new patch, but it's made it worse, at least on PS4. I'm playing it up the PS4 version on the PS5 and still having quite a few problems, but not nearly as many as I think people who are playing on PS4s are having. Uh, but still, the story is is very good, and I, I don't think it's quite the life-changing game 
game that CD Projekt Red kind of marketed it as, but it's still a really, really fun action RPG. I'm quite enjoying it, and I, I think I am going to go back and replay it again once all the patches are out, once they've pretty much fixed the game, or at least once they've, they release an official PS5 version. Um, that would be nice, and uh, I'd love to go back and replay it. But for now, uh, once I finish the story and finish all the main side missions that I want to do, I'll probably shelf it for until everything's out because it's right now it's taking up a ridiculous amount of space on my hard drive and it's uh it's just not fully functional so unfortunately it should have been released later this year yeah it definitely should have been fall 2021 um yeah i know you mentioned before like one of the side choices like the characters that um if you like he he's like a cop that lost his partner or something right and then um, right. like if you don't uh he says like come back later and I, i'll talk to you but you said that you didn't go meet him and then he just kills himself the next day which is like it, it, it's i don't know if i'd call that great storytelling but it's definitely very fun right <laughs> well, it's like it's impactful your your choices matter um, so even even the choice of like, do I do this side mission currently, or do I wait until twelve hours in in game, not not in real life, but like twelve hours in game to do it? Like some of these missions, you'll fail if you don't do it immediately. So yeah, it, I, I like that much choice, although it does kind of stress me out because I, I don't want to make decisions that are yeah, you don't like, want to make a choice that misses out on things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I want to do everything. Or at least have the option to do everything and if i say the wrong thing then i might not be able to do certain missions but you know it, it's it could be a really great game in a year i don't know if people will ever really come around on it just because of the hype but people came around on no man's, no man's sky, sky. And, yeah. too and stuff like that so you know maybe in three years this is considered a great game but yeah uh, hopefully hopefully cd project red has a bit of a reputation revival kind of like how ea has like with the end of their Star Wars line, um, you know, obviously they made a much bunch of mishaps with like the mobile games. Star Wars Uprising was probably the only good mobile game that they had story wise, and the gameplay was just terrible. Battlefront was just only original trilogy, and then, you know, not necessarily anything more to do with sequel or prequel trilogy characters. Obviously, Battlefront Two with all the microtransactions before the release and the grinding of the game and lack of content and prequel content, a bunch there's until fallen order and squadrons developers both those teams you know pitched their ideas and made the game good like made their games good and big sellers for ea honestly like but without them ea would be in the slums and i i see it in the same way with cd project red they gotta just listen to their fans listen to their developers take their time I don't know if they'll ever recover. EA Star Wars hasn't fully recovered, and that's why they lost their exclusivity. But if they can at least make this a really fun action game the next year by fall 2021, it'll be worth buying. That's what I'll say. Pan Am Best Girl. Pan Am Best Girl. Yeah, I can't argue with that either. Uh, but I think that's going to do it for this episode of the Star Wars Lads podcast. Thank you all for listening or watching if you're on YouTube. Um, stay tuned. Every new episode will come out on tuesday we try to get them out in the morning so you have all day to listen but keep an eye out on tuesday on youtube please subscribe and and like and click the notification bell so that you get an update when we upload our next 
video on podcast platform. Just keep an eye out for those new uh, uh, uploads. I know on Apple Podcasts, you can subscribe and, and follow our, uh, our account, so then it will tell you when you upload. Uh, so stay tuned for new episodes every Tuesday. Uh, check out our Instagram also for news, schedule updates, memes, and other Star Wars content. Uh, anything we change with the with the podcast will probably be posted there uh, because that is our main social media platform. Um, so please check that out. Give us a follow uh, and, and keep an eye on it for all. Um, and if you have any ideas for what we should do moving forward, topics that you'd like to hear, uh, please send us a DM or a comment on YouTube or send us an email at... Um, Star Wars Lads Podcast at gmail.com or also comment on our Instagram posts and send us a DM there. Uh, we want to hear your feedback and, and things you'd like to hear us talk about. As we said, High Republic is getting ramped up and we'll be talking about Test of Courage next week, as well as probably having another uh, kind of subtopic like we did today with the video games. But once we, we finish the Test of Courage and then Into the Dark, it's pretty blank until Bad Batch, and we're not sure when that's going to be. So if you have any ideas for topics you'd like to hear, we'd love to listen to your feedback, and we'd love to make that happen on the show. So let us know by emailing us or on Instagram. But thank you for all, all for listening or watching. Stay tuned for next week's episode uh, where we'll talk about a test of courage. Thanks, everybody.